Everyday Conversations, a podcast by the Gospel Coalition Australia. Following Jesus is a whole of life pursuit. As friends talk and share and learn and ask, we pray that you would be encouraged to think deeply. So welcome to another Everyday Conversations for TGCA. Um, my name's Mikey Lynch. I, I lead the staff team for AFES, um, the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students down in Hobart, Tasmania at UTAS, and uh, also involved in, uh, was a founding director for the Geneva Push Church Planning Network. Um, I'm here with Rob Smith, who is what? what? What would you say about yourself, Rob? How do we locate you? Well, uh, look, I'm an Anglican minister based in Sydney, and uh, I lecture in theology and ethics at Sydney Missionary and Bible College, uh, as well as do a range of other ministry things as well. Yeah, and Chris. I'm Chris Watkin. Hi, everybody. I'm a lecturer down at uh, Monash University in Melbourne. And in my research, I mainly focus on contemporary French philosophy. So postmodernism and whatever the thing is that comes after postmodernism. <laughs> post, post, post. Yeah. Um, so you're not like a, a lecturer at a university in like chemical engineering who has opinions about philosophy. You're actually a lecturer in philosophy. Who maybe That's right. A little, little bit of literary studies, a little bit of French culture and a lot of philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're actually recently, this microphone here, I don't know if this was bought for your podcast, but recently you've got the, whatever it is, the Lagasse de la Terrasse podcast. Is that what it's called? That's right. The, the gas from La Terrasse is, is my occasional foray, uh, stumbling foray into the podcasting world. Uh, and yeah, look, my principle is the bigger the microphone, the more impressive it looks. So, so this, this is the biggest I could find. Rob's gone for the more bookshelves, the more impressive. He's got layers of bookshelves there um, behind him. Uh, um, and it's quite interesting, that podcast, because it, it t goes back to um, The Plague by Albert Camus and explores how the issues of another, you know, fictional plague in that case, isn't it? The, how actually the issues are really relevant, existential issues and how they might feed into us living through COVID today. Yeah, look, the principle there is that we're all so immersed in COVID, aren't we, that it's hard to get any distance from it. And so just looking at how Camus thought about plague a few decades ago just gives us that little bit of critical distance from our own historical moment and gives us some insights that we might not generate by ourselves, yeah. And some beautiful prose along the way. He's yeah. a good writer. Yeah. Um, so we're, it feels like this whole conversation, we're going to be doing scarecrows all the time because we're talking about cultural Marxism or um, what, what are some of that critical theory or um, cancel cult. <laughs> um, all of these things, um, people might see buzz around them um, and have different emotions towards. But I, I thought it might, might be helpful to start with you, Chris, from where you sit in the corridors of a university's humanities department, where people actually have made a living um, investigating, analysing and teaching about these things, what's it like there when these kind of words get used um, in Christian intellectual, public intellectual conversation and you hear it there and then you are with your colleagues, is, does it map or does, is there a jarring disconnect? Um, I, I think there's a pretty severe disconnect. 
Yeah, right. Um, so, so the ideas would overlap, but the words that people use to describe those ideas, I think, are very different. So cancel culture, cultural Marxism, even critical theory to a large extent. You, you wouldn't hear bouncing off the corridors uh, of a, a secular university these days. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, one of the really important things to say in, in this podcast is that it, it really matters what language we use because it's, they're not, these are not neutral terms that everybody agrees on to describe what's happening out there in the world, you know. They're situated, the terms themselves. Just think of something like political correctness, for example. You know, if you use a term like that, it already pigeonholes you. And that might not necessarily be a bad thing, but you know, you've got to be aware that the language you use to talk about something it is already either throwing the barriers up with someone you're talking to or, or bringing them down. Uh, and I think, you know, terms like cultural Marxism and, and cancel culture are examples of that. And what, what I'd be keen to do... Well, is, I can think of an example, who, Chris, in, um, I remember talking to an ABC reporter here in Hobart who described the new Anglican bishop down here as a fundamentalist. Exactly. Which made, which made me laugh because I said, you, you don't know what the word means then if you're applying that to Richard Condy, that, that's quite accidentally embarrassing for you as a professional journalist to use that word. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of an example, isn't it? Exactly. So then imagine how it feels, you know, if you're someone who's um, you know, deeply invested in, in the cause of emancipation and liberation and someone just sticks a label on your head of cultural Marxist, you think, well, you know, <laughs> thank you, but you've just told me that you know nothing about me. So, you know, they're, they're, they're to use with caution. One, one way around it can just be to describe what people are doing. And I, I think that, that one thing that, that is, runs across the different things that we're going to be talking about today, but also actually is much broader in society. And I think this is a point that really needs to be made is that it's about liberation and emancipation. That's one, one of the key values driving all of this. That there's a sense that certain people are oppressed uh, and that those people ought to be, it is just for them to be liberated. And the one advantage of framing it in that way is that that doesn't then become a tightly circumscribed cultural thing. There's a, a, a liberation on the right, you know, libertarianism, the free market. There's a value of freedom on the right. And of course, the, the value of freedom is right there at the heart of the Bible as well. You know, think of the Exodus. Uh, think of, you know, if, the, if the, the truth sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So, so if we broaden the sort of conceptual frame and start talking about freedom and liberation, you can bring a lot more people into the conversation. And I think have a much more fruitful back and forth about what it is that, that people who get branded as cultural Marxists are really passionate about and bring that into conversation then with the Bible. Thoughts, yeah, Rob? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, one of the alternative names for cultural Marxism is libertarian Marxism. Um, and it, it picks up on, well, several ideas, but certainly liberation being at the heart of the enterprise. Um, now, when I did my own sort of research into the origins of cultural Marxism, uh, both as a term and as a phenomenon, uh, I mean, the term seems to come from a, a American critical theorist named Trent Schroyer, um, who wrote a book called The Critique of Domination back in the early 70s, 73, I think. And uh, he was reflecting on the work of the Frankfurt School, uh, who generated, uh, I guess, the first iteration of critical theory. And uh, so cultural Marxism was his term to describe their work. Um, but of course, it's a term that then has been picked up by others and uh, misunderstood, misused, misapplied. You know, I read the other day of Tim Keller being accused of being a cultural Marxist just because he 
uh, wrote the book Generous. Marxism is a loaded word, right? Like for some people, he's a political philosopher and, and broader who contributed to the way people think. For other people, there's still the shadow of the fears of the Cold War and its threat to uh, freedom and whatever else. Yeah. It's coloured by a, a strong terror, you know, like, a, like there's still a nuclear shadow to it. And for others, you know, he, he might still actually stand for a revolution that we still haven't got to yet, but there's still hope if we can do it right. That's a lot of shade of meaning for that. that is, is it a useful word at all, given how um, loaded a word it is? Well, it, let, it, let me, it is if it's uh, unpacked carefully. Okay, um, yeah. In that the, well, the cultural Marxists or the neo-Marxists or the Western Marxists, whatever you want to call them, uh, did uh, share certain, I guess, fundamental features of Marxist thought and still had a Marxist goal. We're still working toward you know, utopian ends, but just by very different means. So they, I guess, had a different understanding of how the endpoint would be realised uh, compared to, I guess, you know, classical traditional Marxism. So the purest classical Marxists don't like the cultural Marxists, um, but uh, that, that they share a common ancestry and trajectory is, is clear enough. Sorry, Chris, you were going to say something. Yeah, just, just let me throw something out and see what you guys think about this. I don't know how provocative this is or not. So Marxism is essentially, is it not, in the same way that all dominant cultural ideas are, is, is fundamentally a Christian heresy. In, in the sense that there is, as, as Christians, we, we believe that nothing in this world is utterly evil in and of itself. That, that is reserved for the devil. Uh, and so everything is somehow a distortion or a, a twisting of the, the, the beautifully complex truth of the Bible. Um, but neither, of course, is Marxism, you know, the next reformation or whatever. Um, and therefore, our approach to Marxism when we were deciding how to deal with it should be to, to look for those moments and those values and those trajectories within it where it, it, it resonates with biblical things. You know, not, not trying to collapse it into what Niebuhr would call a Christ of culture sort of approach where we're saying, oh, this is really the Bible just expressed in different words. Of course not. Uh, but also avoiding that opposite um, ditch that we can fall into of thinking that this is so utterly inimical to everything that Christianity holds dear, that there's really no conversation to have between the two, which would be the, you know, the Christ against culture paradigm. Um, and to, I think if we almost approach the relationship between Christianity and Marxism as an exercise in comparative religion, uh, that can yield really, really fruitful results. What, what do you guys think? Well, certainly the comparative religion idea, I think is right. There are lots of parallels terminologically as well as conceptually uh, and the Christian heresy idea is right too because I, I don't know how Marxism would have as it were ever got a leg up apart from as it were Christian themes and theology and uh, a, kind of, a kind of redemptive framework um, so yeah there are all kinds of points of contact there um, but I guess it's yes it's a matter of working out um, what, what the positives are and what 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 the connections are and then what the distortions are and the parodies and, you know, the truth from the false. The tricky thing with big ideas, isn't it, is working out, I mean, this is in any conversation, as you say, like with re religious conversations as well as more secular philosophical ones, is working out when the other person's kind of begging the question or bringing 
extra things in that you kind of go, like you mentioned before, Chris, like, yes, liberation. Yeah, well, I'm with you on that. And, and yes, ideas are embedded in social structures and histories and, and, and whole frameworks of language and meaning. Yeah, actually, yeah, sure. You know, um, uh, and then it's, then sometimes you get to the therefore and you're left like going, wait, what? <laughs> what? And, and that's, that can be the tricky thing, can't it? When you go like, yes, I share this. Yes, I share this. And so we're trying to work out, yeah, where, where, where does the, uh, a thoroughgoing biblical framework each step of the way almost mean that when you get to that last thing, you go, actually, I was with you here, 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 and here, but now I'm in a slightly different place out the other end. Yeah. So, so let me then throw that back at you slightly. Well, fully, in fact, um, <laughs> and, and say, um, we, we, we sort of conjuring at the moment in the conversation in terms of this positive and negative, you know, what, what's good in this, what's bad in this. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get us to disagree. I haven't managed yet. Here's, here's another go. I'm, I'm not convinced that that is, that is a helpful way to look at it um, because it's like the cure at SEG, isn't it? You know, you're trying to pick out good bits from a system that you need the whole of the system. You can't just pick one idea out and have it stand by itself. So perhaps one way to, to approach an idea like Marxism or cultural Marxism or any, any other cultural idea uh, is to run it through the schema that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where he says, you know, Jews demand signs and, and Greeks seek wisdom. Um, and, you know, moderns look for liberation of the oppressed. Um, but we preach Christ crucified. Um, and the, the, the way that I've heard Tim Keller talk about this, and that I found incredibly powerful, is he said, look, you, there's this cultural value that you really, really want. You moderns, you want liberation. You want emancipation. But the, the pathos of your situation is that you can't have it in the way that you want, because the way that you're seeking liberation creates divisions within society and pits one group against each other. And you end up with everyone sort of shouting at each other. Um, so the, the value is good, but the way you're going about it can never arrive at the destination. But that is available. The fullness of what you want is available in Christ uh, because, you know, in him, there's no Greek or Jew, male or female, slave or free. And the unity that you seek for society and the equality that you seek for society is available in Christ. Not that Christians have always fully expressed that uh, or lived up to that. And therefore, dear society, if you really want, if you're really serious about wanting the liberation and emancipation um, that, that you're right to want, uh, you must humble yourself and come to the place that you'd be least likely to look for it, uh, which is the, the foolishness and the stupidity of a first century Galilean hanging on a cross. That would be one way to get past this positive and negative dichotomy. Yes, and, and I think sometimes that is possible. You know, again, it's to come back to your Christ and culture um, pairings, it's kind of Christ the fulfillment of culture or, or the, you know, the fulfillment of the longings of the culture. Yeah. Um, but I guess the other element in it, and here's where I can, you know, fulfill your wish, Chris, of just pushing back. There you go. Uh, the Fine. other element, it, I guess, is the misunderstandings and the idolatries that are bound up with, uh, with the whole Marxist approach. Um, so again, the, the, the narrowing, the, almost the Manichaean, kind of uh, dividing of people into you know, the righteous and the wicked, uh, you know, the evil oppressors and the, uh, and the innocent oppressed and, and so on. So the, the denial of uh, the universality of sin, I guess, at that point. Um, Could I add another one there? Like, I mean, that Manichaean, that's a, for listeners out there, it's like an old kind of um, religious viewpoint that sees everything as a black and white, good and evil. Often kind of physical is, is, is evil as well, can be a part of that. Um, Potentially another Manichaean or black and white approach could be that 
there's a risk with some, whether that's true in the university corridors, but a risk for some to say that, uh, say all structures of power or any element of hierarchy or whatever is an oppression to be overcome by some future flat equality. Uh, whereas it, it potentially, part of a Christian worldview is to say in the createdness, in its orderedness, and potentially therefore variations um, you know, variegated power and hierarchy and stuff. Not all of that is necessarily oppressive or necessarily evil, but actually can be enjoyed well. That seems to be like one of those points where you go like, which is it? Is the goal either sort of a flat equality or is it a interdependent, um, asymmetrical, but non-oppressive, non-violent? Yes. So you get these memes of, you know, categorization is oppression and, uh, hmm. Uh, and a power, you know, the pathologization of power. Um, yeah, so you've, uh, these things underlie, I guess, most manifestations of Marxist thought, but particularly the way it moves into, I guess, the later iterations and generations of cultural Marxist critical theory. Um, anyway, that, that, that'll take us perhaps another track. We've <laughs> only got a few more minutes left to, to, to play. Yeah, we do. Yeah, look, my, my take on that would be, this is one of those points where Christianity is just so deliciously subversive in, in our contemporary culture. So there's, you, the culture can be a fellow traveler with Christianity or, or with, with, with the Bible to a certain point. You know, so Moses goes to Pharaoh in the Exodus narrative and he says, let my people go. And our culture goes, yes, absolutely. You know, freedom for everybody. But the seven times that that term is used in the book of Exodus, it is always followed by a second thought, which is hardly ever quoted, which is let my people go that they may serve me. And then our culture sort of puts it face palms oh, and says, well, what are you really? doing? You've <laughs> just been liberated. What a, but, but I think there's, there's an incredible truth in that. Uh, and I think it's Bob Dylan's truth. You're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah. So yeah, like, the choice is not, too, am I... And foolish, and you could also say they're slave free. There's an interplay Absolutely. like Corinthians 9, isn't yeah. there? I'm yeah. free, I belong to no one. I make myself a slave to... Oh, Luther as well picks it up, doesn't he? You know, yeah. like that yeah, you're yeah. slave to no one, but you're actually a uh, slave to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm a slave to the idolatry and the ideology of freedom. I'm a slave to my own desires. I'm a slave to my own rationality. I, I have to serve something or somebody. And those, so the question, I guess, to throw back at, at a culture that, that has this ideology of absolute freedom uh, is the question is not, am I, am I enslaved or am I free? But am I serving a, a good master if you want to put it in those provocative terms mm. and i guess you know the 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 christian can say i serve one who loved me to the point of giving his life for mm. me and who has mm. made promises to me that he will not break who do you serve yes yeah it's like jesus words you know take my yoke upon you yeah. uh, for i'm gentle and humble in heart you'll find rest for you know you think surely rest freedom is being yokeless no jesus says it's being yoked to me um yeah those paradoxes that uh, I guess confound any non-biblical approach to liberation and and redemption. We're being told we have to wrap up. I feel like we're going to head out to La Terrasse and have some um, coffees right. to chat about this for another hour or more. It's, it's, we're just getting going. That's right. But um, yeah, perhaps it, we could say that um, then there's an, yet another approach to this, and maybe there's a concluding thought that having reached that point and critique the culture through a, a gospel lens and, and it's some of the paradoxes 
that give a, a more substantial reality, we can then come back afresh and listen to um, some, of the, some of the insights or the tools that various kinds of philosophies and politics bring that might help us then shine a light on our own churches or organisations or cultures um, and help us, just, just with a fresh look, help us go, oh, hang on, here we're, here's where we're not walking in the line with Jesus. And, yeah, sometimes it might take another movement or another philosopher to help me see what I should have seen in the scriptures all along. And at that point, you know, uh, we can be thankful. We go, oh, yeah, you're not just the enemy that I have to defeat, but you also are helping me see what I should have seen in my own face and life. Mikey, yeah. just before we wrap up, shall we throw out some... Oh, I'm happy for us to keep reading. going. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that people who want to think more about this can, can sort of go off yeah, and read some stuff. And Yeah. Yeah, I, I would like to plug your stuff, Chris. <laughs> Chris has published a book called Thinking Through Creation. Can, can I just point out to people now, this is not a setup, okay? No, I, I, I wasn't well. crossing that ball for Mikey to head it in. <laughs> just, just letting you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's great. So I don't know if Chris is going to mention He's also got some stuff on various philosophers like Derrida and uh, okay. Foucault and another yeah. one. Deleuze, I think, really good examples of some of the things that um, that we've been that Chris has been kind of doing in in very brief moments. So I'm off my own bat recommending Chris's stuff. Chris, yeah. you don't have to do it. What would you recommend? Um, yeah, look, I, I, I save you the embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I I love recommending reading in three categories: which bits of the Bible are really helpful, what old books are really helpful, and what new books are really helpful. So I'm just going to do that quickly. I think bits of the Bible to, to really get our heads around and have a deep dive for these sort of issues are the book of Exodus, um, the, the fundamental liberation narrative of our culture, I think it's fair to say, uh, and something upon which all of these subsequent ideas, including Marx, are to some extent parasitic. Gospel of Luke, uh, his care for the, the poor, I think is very instructive and chastening for Christians. And the book of Daniel, how to live in a, a culture yeah. Uh, which is which is quite foreign in the way that it thinks to to us. So that would be my bits of the Bible, old books. Um, I I think you know if you've got the stomach for it, you can't look past the city of God uh, for for really getting into the sorts of issues that are facing us uh, in our culture. The the way that he talks about the the ethic of, of this is not his words, but the ethic of power in the city of man, the libido dominandi, the desire to dominate. Um, I think is is very relevant, and the way that he characterizes. Absolutely, the city of God in terms of, of love. I think that the, the, the vector and the, the concept of love is incredibly important for Christians in this context. And my new books uh, would be um, Richard Baucom's God and the Crisis of Freedom, really penetrating reflections on freedom and therefore liberation and emancipation as well. Uh, and for people who want a little bit more of a philosophical take um, on, on things, as uh, Michael Waltz's exodus and revolution looking at the way in which the exodus narrative relates to, to more modern ideas of uh, revolution and um the historian john coffee has written another book exodus and liberation looking at how the exodus narrative has shaped modern western ideas of what it means to be liberated oh that's a great little reading list there rob anything you'd like to add yeah well look uh, some perhaps some web things on the web uh, there are two guys in the US, two Christian guys, Neil Shenvey and Pat Sawyer, uh, who've done a lot of work on critical theory, particularly the sort of recent uh, manifestations of critical theory, and have written a lot of uh, very helpful articles. There's a, a, a website, shenveyapologetics.com, S-H-E-N-V-I, shenveyapologetics.com. Uh, you'll find a mountain of very helpful thoughtful stuff there um so that would be one thing um 
Tim Keller has also written recently a very helpful critique of notions of justice and uh, critical theory. And I'm just trying to put my hands on uh, the title of it, but it wouldn't be hard to find uh, that's right. online. If you look up Tim Keller, uh, Justice Critical Theory, you'll find whatever the precise title of that is. Uh, and then the other last thing I'd suggest is that people actually go and read some of these uh, sort of more foundational uh, texts from, say, the Frankfurt School. You know, read an essay like uh, uh, Herbert Marcuse's Repressive Tolerance, which uh, is a very important piece of work, which in large measure, I think, uh, sets the stage for much of what we're seeing today in terms of cancel culture and, and uh, view, uh, restrictions on freedom of speech and, and so on. Um, so that's easily found on the, on the internet, as is a lot of the other material by the Frankfurt School. Um, so, yeah, don't just uh, read secondhand stuff about some of these sources. Back to the sources, yeah. You go back to them. They're all, they're all yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so there'll be a short quiz for everyone watching um, in a week. So um, swat up and uh, then visit tgca.org to take the quiz and get your credit for this, this subject. It's been really nice, guys. It's a shame we can't go for longer, but who knows? Maybe we'll get called on again to pick up some of these things. Up to. Um, would you guys be keen for it if they asked? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, for now, though, see you later. See you. Thanks, guys. Nice